hello and welcome to the Girls Gone Canon podcast. This is the 11th episode. My name is Chloe. You can find me on Twitter as at Liza Arbor, on Tumblr as LizaNarbor.tumblr.com, writing meta-analysis. And hello, I'm Eliana. You can find me always on the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit as Glass Table Girl. And on the Maester Monthly Podcast. Thank you for joining us again. Second Barry episode. It is. And now we're actually getting to his chapters. The good stuff. We're also getting to like <laughs> the quickest overview ever of like a bunch of Danny chapters too. Yeah. We'll get into that. We yeah. have some housekeeping before then. Uh, if you missed out, we were on LML Lucifer Means Lightbringers live cast on Sunday between two weirwoods. It was a live panel. It was very fun. We talked about parenting in A Song of Ice and Fire with the wonderful Amanda, Crow Food's daughter. Uh, it was a really fun time. We talked a lot about Ned. So if you're missing dad, like we are. It was, yeah, I had a lot of fun. And I don't know. Maybe we'll do it again. It was, an, it was a great way to revisit Ned, and especially through the lens of his kids, as opposed to just in Ned's POV. Because, yeah, it was about parenting and being parented, and I don't know, Ned's not... Ned, interestingly, doesn't think that much about parenting. Yeah, we did get to talk about my favorite, Sandor, so mm-hmm. I was happy. Mm-hmm. I had a real good, there's a real good long section where I'm just yodeling about Sandor. That was fun. Yeah, we also talked quite a bit about, you know, as a way to contrast with the Stark family, Tywin and how he raised the Lannister kids. Did he, though? Tywin and how he was there while the Lannister kids got older. Not necessarily grew up, but... I'm like all of the spiritual guiding he did, all of the mentoring he did. Yeah. They turned out great. Yeah, they did. They really turned out real good. Uh Game of Thrones finished filming this week. Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah. It's over. Wow. Oh, I, when are we going to get this announcement for date? Do you think it's going to be spring next year? <laughs> a dream of spring. Yeah, I guess they have to release it in spring. Otherwise, it's like a missed opportunity. They can like market it and everything. Come on, HBO, do your worst. They also used to release it in spring anyway, so. Yeah, it's either like spring or summer or spring. Maybe they'll release it winter, you know, because it's coming. That'd be cute. January 1st, just kidding. If they're finished finished now, I think they could finish up production and stuff by spring. And, like, to be fair, we could also, releasing it winter wouldn't work. We could probably look at, like, what shows they have slated for their winter schedule in general already, too. I know Insecure's coming back this, but that's summer. Yeah, that's summer. I'm super stoked about that. Maybe Silicon Valley, which I do think is hilarious, but I could see, like... Oh, it's time, though, I think. It's one of those shows. It's like, it is good. I love it, but yeah. it's time. They're, maybe they're gonna, like, actually finally succeed for sure, Zeus. I don't... I would be interested to see if that is what happened. I don't know. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully it'll happen, because I'm itching anyways for content. Oh, happy birthday to one of our followers, Emma Smith. She was really excited we changed 
our recording and release schedule to Fridays for release, and it's her birthday today. So if you're listening to this, uh, happy birthday, Emma. Hope you have a good one. Thanks for listening. We did it for you. We, like, found your birthday. I know. I called Eliana. I was like, you know, you know, Emma's birthday is... Actually, I did say that, though. I'm going to be pretty fair. (laughs) All right. I guess this is it. I guess it's, uh... Let's jump into it. We got a lot to go through. So we kind of... You guys, we decided it would be really smart if we did a very long lightning round to get you caught up. Barristan's chapters, we'll talk about this a little later, but he comes at the end of A Dance with Dragons in the second half of the story. So we're going to go over some of the marine chapters that we're missing so far, just kind of how we ended last episode chatting about the Miranese knot. This is what has led to needing Barristan. This this exact lightning round is what you're going to hear. Uh, so we'll go through some of these. Uh, sit tight, just to remind you of what you're missing in Daenerys' arc and even in Quentin Martell's arc. Yeah, we just briefly touched on Quentin. We don't even, like, do Tyrion. Oh, yeah, I forgot he exists. He does, He's not... It doesn't matter to this plot right now. Sorry, yeah. Tyrion. Yeah. Later. Later, Tyrion. You'll get yeah, your we'll, day. We'll get there. Dog has we'll get there. Day. Exactly. Yeah, in, like, three years. We'll get there. <laughs> in Daenerys 1, one of Daenerys' unsullied soldiers, stalwart shield, is killed by the Sons of the Harpy, Giscari noblemen from Marine defying her reign. Barristan tells Danny that she does not need to see Stalwart Shield and how he died. During the day, Daenerys holds court and hears petitions from the sack of the city, people who lost animals to her dragons, and the charred bones of a child. The Merchant's Man, the first Quentin Martell chapter. Adventure Stank learns the new boy, Quentin Martell, as he searches for a faster way to the Dragon Queen. RPG Adventure, go! In Daenerys 2, the Sons of the Harpy continue to bring murder to the streets of Marine, including to Missandei's brother, Masador. Amidst heightened security and chaos, Quaithe brings a prophetic warning to Daenerys, sowing seeds of unease as the queen begins to see perfumed seneschals everywhere. For comfort, she asks her old knight for a story of how he escaped King's Landing. He says there is no valor in running for your life, and he defends Eddard Stark when Danny denounces him as trash. Ned, Barrison says, was the only one who stood up for Daenerys in Robert's court. As Danny goes to visit her dragons, Barristan warns her not to get too close, that he would rather not she die on his watch. Daenerys 3. Danny hosts the Carthine merchant Zarozo and Doxos in Myrine. He offers galleys if she will leave for Westeros finally, and of course quit disrupting the slave trade. As she refuses Zaro's fake advances, Danny learns that Piat Pri and other warlocks sailed for Pentos after she left Karth. War simmers in Slaver's Bay as Danny refuses to defend Ostapor against Yunkish troops and again refuses Zaro, finally leading to a declaration of war from Karth. In Daenerys 4, Daenerys meets the Green Grace, who once more suggests marriage and a possible suitor, his dar Zolorak. In the meantime, Barristan has been instructing Grazar and other boys in the ways of Western chivalry. Daenerys agrees to meet with his dar in exchange for peace. Soon after he leaves, Barristan enters, expressing disapproval and urging his queen to leave the land for Westeros. 
He warns against loveless marriages, having seen Ares and Rayla and what it costs the realm. After meeting with Barristan, Danny meets with Dario and hears his barbaric suggestions before sending him away and telling Barristan to forbid Dario from meeting with her directly ever again, which she comes to regret. Anyway, the wind blow. Quentin, Chloe's son, maybe also her lover, and his oh company join the Soul Sword Company, the Windblown, unsure of how they'll convince and double cross the leader, the tattered prince, until it falls right into their laps. He is playing both sides and plans to defect to Daenerys. It's like things went so well for him for, for so much that it shouldn't have. Like, what do you think was going to happen in this story? <laughs> They were, like, going okay. I mean, like, he lost some of his friends. They were, like, going, you know, it was, like, 50-50, you know? You win some, you lose some, and then... You really lose. (laughs) You go to a Miranese barbecue, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, he was really really trying his luck there, though. Poor Quentin. Poor Quentin. In Daenerys 5, resuming her routine of counting enemy ships in the harbor... Daenerys has an argument with her admiral, who thinks she should have her dragons attack the 25 enemy ships in the water. Danny counters with him, sending ships to do the job, but his ships have all been dismantled. It's been 26 days since a murder has been attempted, according to Skahaz Mokandek, who has been following Hisdar in secrecy. Skahaz questions if Hisdar is of the harpy himself and asks to question him, but Daenerys will not let him because mistrusting him could mean open rebellion. He suggests she takes hostages, which she rejects, and Barrison says that she did the right thing. Astaporian refugees arrive in Marine, and Daenerys learns that Astapor has fallen and the bloody flux is loose. More and more, people ask Danny to use her dragons, but they cannot be controlled. Even the Unsullied are afraid of the dragons now. She orders a camp built outside the city until the mayor has passed. Barrison asks Daenerys to take to battle with the enemy, but Daenerys must represent her people and not her person. She decides she must marry Hisdar for the good of the city. Y'all, it's dysentery. All right. Uh, Danny Six. Daenerys visits the camps outside of Meereen and orders Grey Worm and Ago to wash, heal, and burn the bodies of the dead. She returns to her pyramid where Eri and Jiki are play-arguing about Ricaro. They are just girls, Sansa thought. Danny makes herself presentable and dons her floppy ears to dine with his dar, before being informed by Reznok Mo Reznok and Gala Zagalare that she must have her body inspected by his dar's house before the wedding. Ha ha ha. Tricks on you. She can't have no babies. She, she initially refuses, but finally caves. Like... I don't know, were you going to, like, turn her down for what? I mean, she got dragons. Anyways, she is also asked to open the fighting pits as a wedding gift, but it is the one thing that she will not give. Hisdar informs Daenerys that Yunkai will make peace for gold and the right to have slaves once more, but Barristan tells her to do otherwise. The Yunkai are marching and Dario has returned. Danny meets with Dario, I thought we weren't doing that, and learns that Brown Ben Plum and the Second Sons went over to Yunkai. But several of the Yunkai swords defected to her. She commands the gates be closed to Mirene, leaving the Astapori outside. But she opens 
another set of gates and lets Dario come into her castle. I do want to comment. This is not obviously a Daenerys analysis right now. We're analyzing Ferris in this podcast, but Dario's got to have that good dick, dude, because it was like one chapter later that she was like opening her gates to him. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. Yeah. Dude. He's got that swagger. I mean, like when we get to Daenerys, I'm going to be just unbearable because I'm going to be a Dario defender. I'm like, you'd fuck him too. So what if he has that blue hair and the gold tooth? I'd fuck him. I mean, yeah. Also, just like, I don't know who hasn't had maybe many people, but I don't know. But in my experience, who hasn't had a fuck buddy that they've kept around too long, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Even if the dick's not that okay, anyway. Wow. Uh, in Daenerys 7, Danny wakes next to Dario, nervous about the choice she's made in marrying his daughter. Rejecting Dario's hand, as she knows she must, she returns to her life. The Yonkai are building siege weapons and ships to attack the city. Dario brought along three Dornish men to meet her, and the secret alliance between House Targaryen and Martell is revealed. A pact signed by Oberyn Martell and Willem Derry, sealing a marriage between Viserys and Arianne. Danny refuses to marry Quentin and continues on with her marriage to his star. Danny eight. Yunkai's sellswords and slaves besiege Marine as Hisdar feasts their lords and captains, celebrating peace and the reopening of the fighting pits. The Yunkai present their representatives of the windblown Longlands's Company of the Cat and Second Sons, and then they exchange seven hostages to put in place um, in order to maintain the peace during the wedding ceremonies. Pay attention to this. This is coming back right now. Okay. Eager to replace the swords lost from the second sons, Danny decides to listen to Barrison's counsel. He offers to arrange meetings with some of the leaders, but admits that he's not the best man to do that. He suggests she speaks with Quentin, which she does, and suggests that he leave as he is not safe here, which... Quentin declines. Danny retires to bed, allowing his daughter to have his way in their marriage bed, and when he passes out, Missande comes to comfort the queen until she falls asleep. In Daenerys 9, the screams and fresh scent of blood attract Drogon to the fighting pits where Misa sits, disgusted at the reopened pit fighting, and chaos erupts. Strong Belvoss has been poisoned. No! Spears, are... <laughs> Spears are flying through the air. Hisdar commands his men to kill Drogon. Daenerys tames Drogon, leaping upon his back and soaring off into the air, Marine and her people growing smaller and smaller below. And finally, that brings us to the Queen's Guard. Night gathers and his watch begins. The ever-loyal Queen's Guards, that is. Most fear that Daenerys is dead, and Sir Barristan and company are left to pick up the pieces from the mayhem in the pits. With most of Danny's crew dismissed by his Dar Zalorox, Seneschal, Resnok, Mo Resnok, or prisoners of the Yunkai, Barristan and Missande remain in the royal apartments. The pale mare rides through Mirene and in the Yunkish camps, and Bearson finds himself once more being dismissed by this false king, though this time in a foreign land. Skahazmo Kondak, 
the shave pate secretly sends for Barristan, convincing him to conspire against his star. The Queen's Guard I am the Queen's man still, today, tomorrow, always, until my last breath or hers. Barristan Selmy refused to believe that Daenerys Targaryen was dead. Daenerys has not returned. Rumors have erupted everywhere that she's dead. The Dothraki are sent to search for her across the Worm River, and Strong Belwas is still poisoned from honeyed locusts, which is bullshit. You don't just do that to Strong Belwas. You absolutely cannot do that to Strong Belwas. But because of the way that the story is set up, we know that he's going to survive this, or at least that maybe he'll be brought back to life from the dead, because we've had that set up earlier in the books, and of course... Based on the way that his story's been going, we understand that his is the Song of Ice and Fire. Barristan also continues to distrust the Blue Graces that are in charge uh, and in charge of Strong Bellus's health. The Yunkai still hold their hostages, Jogo, Dario, Admiral Grolio, and Hero of the Unsullied as their hostages for peace during this time. Beriston finds himself then set aside by Hisdar and his seneschal, Reznok Mo Reznok, Deja Vu. Also, Admiral Grolio is totally a Star Wars meme, right? Is it? It, do- it, it does. Feels feel- like it feels it. like it. No, it definitely does. Yeah. Beriston is totally offended by being set aside, but not for the same reasons you think. He doesn't take this as a blot on his honor, like being discharged from the Kingsguard is... The way the Marinese court runs is almost a joke to Barristan after he sat through ages of it in Robert's reign, and we see a lot more of that in the next chapter also. Absolutely, and I, I also feel that there's like something going on here too where Barristan just no longer fears being set aside, and he kind of seems to want his dar to do it because he just dislikes his dar so much. And now that the band-aids have been ripped off once of his dismissal, like, whatevs, what's another one from like a king I don't care about? Reznak is constantly trying to make Barristan call Hisdar by the eastern stylings of his radiance, his worship, his magnificence, and Barristan really refuses to don the floppy ears. I do want to call out how the Westerosi, especially Barristan, just don't seem to understand why this these titles are so important to the Giscari. A few years ago... Um, my fellow moderator and friend Hamfast42, who made a great George R. R. Martin cosplay at Ice and Fire Con, also wrote a great thread called Why the People of Mirin Don't Say Your Grace. And like it's short enough that I'm just going to read basically what he says aloud. So why is his dar so annoyed with he doesn't talk like this at all. So why is his dar so annoyed with being called your grace? Because for the people of Mirin, grace means priestess. Per the wiki, the Temple of Graces houses various priestesses slash nuns, including the Green Grace, the High Priestess, the Blue Grace, the Healers, the Red Graces, who are um, sex workers, the White Graces, who are young girls, and then the Pink Graces, who are servants of the Green Grace. So, so saying your grace is not particularly flattering to a male monarch, to 
monarchs in general. So they pick a different word that doesn't imply sex work, priests, or plague victims. Uh, so TLDR, when Sir Barristan says, Your Grace, he's accidentally, or on purpose, I, I don't think he like picked up on it, it's definitely not on purpose, that he's calling his dar a nun or a priestess. So for me, when like he's constantly being corrected on it, like Barristan's like, oh, it's just because he's so, va- so vain that he wants to be called your magnificence or whatever. And I think that it's actually not his dar's vanity so much as it's actually Barristan's cultural insensitivity or just misunderstanding. He shows a, shows a lack of understanding, and we're going to talk about that in a couple different aspects. And it's also showing a lack of respect for the Giscari religion. Right, and to contrast with what we see with Daenerys, Daenerys knows in her chapters, even though she hates it, that she must put on her floppy ears. She has to go to court. She has to wear the stylings. She has to do the thing. So it's a very interesting contrast when we see inside Daenerys's head and what she thinks is the right way to rule and how she's trying to rule and trying to maintain control over the crazy situation going on in Marine and how Barristan keeps the homeostasis but doesn't do anything really for it. Yeah. Hisdar surrounds himself with pit fighters instead of any of Daenerys's people. And we get this really great quote that I do want to put out there. I, I, I'm i going to, throughout this whole entire next handful of chapters, uh, less than a handful, I guess I should say, I will definitely be pointing out all of these chapters, but Barrison has a lot of I'm freaking tired chapters because he's going to die. They're so sad. I know, because he's old as shit I know, he's going to die. But it makes me like feel sad. <laughs> yeah, because it's grandpa, dude, and it's like you're supposed to respect old people. Even if you're like, Grandpa, come on, man. Yeah. Get it together. Yeah, for sure. I don't care if it was different times back in 236 AC or whatever the hell you were born. I think I just feel that way. And I'm going to talk about this many times throughout the cast because I'm like, I'm getting old. I'm not that old, but I feel old you're sometimes. Like yeah. The Great Pyramid of Marine was 800 feet high from base to point. The sentinel's chambers were on the second level. The queen's apartments and his own occupied the highest step. A long climb for a man my age, Sir Barristan thought, as he started up. He had been known to make that climb five or six times a day on the queen's business, as the aches in his knees and the small of his back could attest. There will come a day when I can no longer face these steps, he thought, and that day will be here sooner than I would like. Before it came, he must make certain that at least a few of his lads were ready to take his place at the queen's side. I will knight them myself when they are worthy and give them each a horse and golden spurs. We can, like, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's not even just, like, embarrassing. It makes me think of my grandparents. Exactly, grandpa, no. (laughs) And I'm like, oh no, they're not going to be able to go up the stairs that much longer. And I'm just sad. Yeah, dude life it's mortality and it's seeing a legend die that's what we're reading we're reading a legend die we're seeing the end of this legend's life but will we see the birth of a new one i don't know okay that was that was cheesy i'm cutting your no, I'm <laughs> okay kidding. go for it cut the cheese um <laughs> barristan wanting to raise these knights up is also him trying to do what he could not do himself trying to have them kind of be better than he was at his job 
he wants to give them a horse and golden spurs. And he sees these boys who are freed slaves as someone he wants to give a better life. He feels responsible for them, just as Daenerys feels duty to her people and her children. In a way, they both feed off of this duty of his instilled into her and vice versa. Gives them purpose in their life. Yeah. Missande is the only one of Danny's servants who seems to be remaining in the royal apartments, but she has also been replaced. There's this weird moment where Barristan then talks about these cupbearers uh, who are actually just like hostages from the noble families of Marine, and then how he and Danny have become so fond of them, though, that they don't think of them as hostages. And I'm just like, buddy, like, I don't think that they forgot them they were hostages like that's cute that like you really like them but they don't feel that they way they don't want to be there yeah it's like it's like a theon Greyjoy, <laughs> but it hasn't rained there for like three days and it's like hot and sticky and sweaty and gross yeah which I know that feel. But also, I think there's a kind of a dialogue between this idea of that lack of rain. Uh, and in one of the chapters that we just like synopsis did, Zaro Zoan Doxos talks about how rain might seem like a nuisance or a bad thing, but is in fact a good thing. As he tries to like argue that slavery is also like can seem like a bad thing but it's necessary it's like no dude as danny points out slavery and rain are definitely not the same thing but like this together with like that very strange line about the hostages in my opinion creates this weird like uncanniness this uneasy feeling regarding this morality of people as property and it's very interesting coming from a guy from Barrison, who's judging his daughter for keeping pit fighters as guards, like it's blurring those lines. And also, rain and slavery are definitely not the same, and slavery is bad. Which totally is Barrison's whole shtick, right? We get him, you know, feeling guilty that he didn't do more, and that he, you know, he was one of the knights that would hear Rayla in the bedroom with Ares and. He knew of bad things happening, but he said, you know, it's my duty. I'm just going to say it's because of duty, and that's what I'm going with. And it's that line of blurred morality for Barristan. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe we need to go through the hard times of the drought and the lack of rain to get to the other side of better things that, like... Like, these are not necessary evils. These were completely unnecessary evils. By what right does the wheat stock judge the lion? By what right? <laughs> Disease keeps spreading through the city and outside in the Yunkish camps, and the streets are quiet. The markets are closed, and greasy human meat flesh smoke rises from Slaver's Bay. Not even the fighting pits are even, like, drawing a crowd, and the Miranese begin to shun the Temple of the Graces, even. Barristan thinks on how the slavers will find some way to blame Daenerys for all of this, and how soon enough they will probably just declare her dead. Wee-oo, wee-oo. Barristan nostalgia break incoming. You're gonna get these periodically because he goes into these old-ass man thoughts all the time. They're so sad. Where have all the years gone? Of late, whenever he knelt to drink from a still pool, 
and saw a stranger's face gazing up from the water's depths. When had those crow's feet first appeared around his pale blue eyes? How long ago had his hair turned from sunlight into snow? Years ago, old man. Decades. Where have the years gone? This is like a whole ass paragraph where Ferris and Selmy is just being old. He's thinking about how old he is. He's like, my hair's not blonde anymore. It's fucking gray. It's been like that for decades. I got crow's feet. I'm tired and I'm old. And I mean, I don't think about how I could die soon all the time. But I do relate to some of these feelings. And I'm just like only 27. But like, I've been finding wrinkles. And I feel like George R. R. Martin just captures this idea of like, oh, where did the time go? Very well. Absolutely. And there is actually a great time reference. Something I love that George does is how he talks about time and how it passes how he uses different things to signify it, whether it's change of the moon in Brienne's chapters or hair length in Brienne's chapters. And I do love that we do get some of that, speaking of time. I love that here he talks about it turning from sunlight into snow, especially because in some cultures, and by that I mean, like, I'm a total weeb, but you know how they always talk about the springtime of youth? But the people talk about, like, your life occurring in seasons and here we're we're seeing Barrison as though he feels as though he's entering that winter of his life of course right on the cusp of the winds of winter theoretically (laughs) (laughs) Barrison thinks about uh how he was knighted after the tourney at King's Landing and King's King Aegon's sword on his shoulders and how he choked uh saying his vows because he was just so emotional and then he oh like sansa in season six just like when that she forgets how to knight someone oh my god precious Crash. and then he ate real good that night at the feast though uh he had wild boar prepared with spicy dornish peppers and oh it sounds so it good it sounds real good i'm real hungry a mood mood <laughs> Forty-seven years, and the taste still lingered in his memory, yet he could not have said what he had supped on ten days ago if all seven kingdoms had depended on it. Boiled dog, most like, or some other foul dish that tasted no better. He thinks a lot about how he belongs home, not in Slaver's Bay, which, again, goes back to not only his disdain for this amount of people taking over the rule in Daenerys' stead, also his ignorance that we kind of touched on a little bit earlier. Barristan finds himself reflecting on how he got here and how he lost Danny, just like he failed Ares and Robert. He regrets that he ran too slowly after her, wondering if Dario could have run faster. You just, like, you gotta let her go, dude. Like, you can't stop her. You can't save these rulers from themselves, but also, like, they're their own people making their own decisions. Learn to make decisions, Barry. I don't know, dude. It's like this whole Ashara liked the Stark guy because he was hot. Danny likes Dario because he's hot. Why can't I save them? I don't know. It's like, come on. Live your live your life, bro. Live your life. And he's just, like, kind of... He doesn't ruminate on it, but it's kind of the same thing with Robert. So I guess this is just kind of Barristan's storyline and like all these, I guess, other kings that died, whatever, YOLO. Uh, But you can't save them from themselves. 
He dreams then of the fighting pit, of Strong Bell was puking, and no. I know. And his dar urging the dragon slayers and people screaming and shouting and running and fighting. And then Daenerys. Her hair was aflame. She had the whip in her hand and she was shouting. Then she was on the dragon's back, flying. He thinks on Drogon taking the air with spears and crossbow bolts coming at him and how he breathed flame upon them and killed 214 people, injuring thrice as many. Rumors are rampant that the Yunkai sieging marine mounted scorpions so they could try to kill Drogon if Daenerys returns. And this sequence right here where we're finding out what happens after Danny flies away, this is the Miranese not untangling itself. We open this chapter on that aftermath of finding out what the political situation is in Miran with like his dar already in power. And it's only that we learn the rest of like what happened in those fighting pits in Dosnox through Barristan's memories, his recollection. The city-state, of course, is in political chaos, and it's all echoing in the dreams. It's it's throughout all of these chapters. And you can even see why Barristan was needed at this point in these chapters. His chapters come so late in the book, like we said earlier, that in the second half of Dance, there are only four of them. It was the only way to tie it all together, and it was the perfect bow that George needed just to wrap it up. Barristan thinks on how Daenerys had been riding Drogon, which, like, get it, girl. Actually, seriously, we read that chapter, like, get it, girl. Uh, <laughs> it's She's all like, yes, yes, higher. And it's like, whoa, girl. Okay. Like the Targaryens of old, of lore, of legend. The legend is thinking, though, about Daenerys being a legend. Hashtag meta. And he begins to right? think that Daenerys might be flying home to Westeros when Missandei appears. Give her a point of view chapter. We deserve this. I mean, she deserves this. She's she's fucking earned it, dude. Dude, she's the best. She really is. She tells Barristan right in the nick of time that Daenerys would never leave without them, which, yeah, I don't think our girl would for sure. She'd come back for her people. She puts on for her city, obviously. Yeah. Uh, she also tells him that a brazen beast with an owl mask would like to speak with him. That's so polite sounding, isn't it? Like, a brazen beast with an owl mask would like to speak with you, Mr. Barristan? <laughs> like, <laughs> real polite. Like, Mr. Barristan? Mr. Barristan, uh, the bird man. <laughs> the bird man. We do find out that it is Gahaz Mokandik, the shape paint, who wants to meet with him. Extremely secretly, very sneakily. And uh, the Brazen Beasts, of course, as a reminder, are basically the new City Watch of Marine, formed by Daenerys, under her power. And of course, wee 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 Barristan Nostalgia Hour incoming. We should be timing these. Drink every time this happens. Oh, we should. Drunk, no time. I got a drink. You got a drink. We can do this. I'm out. I finished what? it. I'm out. Okay. I know. I was real sneaky. You were talking about, like, strong bellas. Uh, Barristan worries how can I protect the queen when I am not with her while speaking with Masande and trying to stay strong for the child's sake? He thinks of the kings he's served. He thinks of receiving the cloak of Melis the Monstrous, of standing in that cloak watching Eris succumb to madness. Stood and saw and heard, yet did nothing. 
And compare that line that Chloe just read aloud with this other one that comes a little bit earlier, describing some of the different knights of the Kingsguard. Most were only men, quicker and stronger than most, more skilled with sword and shield, but still prey to pride, ambition, lust, love, anger, jealousy, greed for gold, hunger for power, and all the other failings that afflicted lesser mortals. The best of them overcame their flaws, did their duty, and died with their swords in their hands. The worst? The worst were those who played the Game of Thrones. <laughs> just like it's pretty dramatic Pearson I mean he's really dramatic have you noticed that he's a little he's dramatic. dramatic I mean he's been seeing everything through the lens of I guess like heroes because he's gotten to be one but like just like Pearson all of these different knights and heroes they're all just people and I mean was it really the worst of them that played the Game of Thrones or is it worse to actually just stand aside and support a tyrant just saying. I feel like Barristan thinks he's just above the game when in the end he's a pawn in the game. He's used as a piece in the game. He's, I mean, in the end, the way that he defends his duty and does his duty and tries to do what he thinks is right isn't always him doing what's right. And by him not taking his own control over his destiny on the board, he really is just a piece. He's just as much of a pawn as Sansa Stark is right now. He's always just been a piece, a player. I mean... Yeah, he went to Daenerys. That was big. But he is figuring out right now who he is in this game. All he did was join a different game. Like, you know, you play or you get played. Like, get rich or die trying. In the words of 50 Cent. You know? Play on, play on. Uh, Barristan reminds himself th this isn't necessarily fair how hard he's being on himself. He simply did his duty. And then that's backed up immediately by regret and guilt at him rescuing Aerys of Duskendale, of Rhaegar not ascending the throne, of Jaehaerys, of Aerys, of Robert, of Rhaegar, of Elia, of the babes, and the cat. But the cat's still alive. We saw it in Aegot. So if you guys remember that book that we talked about a little bit ago, that we were in for like 15 chapters, we're out of there. But we'll hit it. We'll hit it again when we hit Arya someday in the 10 years. And now, of course, Daenerys was lost. Daenerys, his bright shining child queen, she is not dead. I will not believe it. Gross. It's it's child queen. Uh very chill out. You're like ninety-five years old. You have like ten million rings, you tree, around your neck. <laughs> yeah, I'm bright shining child queen. Like save yourself. Just dude. not a good language. Yeah. Yeah, just be be you. Be true. <laughs> be you, be true. Barrison spends the afternoon training his boys in all things knightly, especially chivalry, which in his opinion makes knights better than any pit fighter would be. He goes and he has supper. It's very simple. He changes out of court clothes into a hooded traveler's cloak with sword and dagger. We get the scene, though, where like Barrison's just eating alone and watching the sunset and thinking about stuff, and it it just makes me real sad. I don't know why. Like, the way that this whole thing's just written, it makes me feel really uneasy and sad. Hey, Barrison, what you thinking about? Uh, just how I could have done better and I didn't, and now I won't take responsibility for that? Sad, dude. Sad. 
even like seriously though, his supper is described as simple. His dinner is described as simple. It's just him and Masande somewhere in the royal apartment and the ghosts of everyone else that was sent away or hostage or killed. He just climbs down the bajillion and seven steps to the pyramid. He checks the dragons. He makes sure they've been fed. Also, he's a little terrified of his boss's pets. Did you notice that? He's just like, okay, well, this was fun for me, dragons. Bye. Yeah, I mean, same. Normal lizards, like, I even, like, small lizards, like, scare me. I'm, I'm not, like, super See, scared. See, I'm cool with those. I just, like... I'm not cool with, like... No, I'm cool with snakes and stuff. I'm not, like, weird, I guess. I'm, like, I, I, I don't know. They were, like, small, small lizards when I was, like living in the Philippines and they're just they're everywhere and I mean they're fine I'm just like don't touch me you're probably dirty snacks are probably okay depending I don't know there was like this we don't need this tangent never mind (laughs) (laughs) oh my god anyways if the queen had commanded me to protect Hisdar I would have had no choice but to obey but Daenerys Targaryen had never established a proper queen's guard even for herself nor issued any commands in respect to her consort. The world was simpler when I had a lord commander to decide such matters, some reflected. Now I am the lord commander, and it's hard to know which path is right. This is him, like, straight up saying, like, I don't really know what Daenerys really wants, actually, but I think I'm doing it. But also, I'm just like, I don't know, I feel like this right now, at my age, and I'm just like, how did you get this 60 years old? Like, without ever having to think for yourself. Like, I mean, I get it. You, like, had a job. But, like, there was some really great discussion today. And by today, I mean Monday on Twitter where people were talking about Barristan and the ages of, like, various knights and this idea of arrested development. And I truly am starting to think after I read this that maybe they're right about Barristan, like, Barristan still had a choice and this kind of thinking of like I the world was simpler when I had a lord commander to decide such matters like for me I mean I'm like you are a grown man you're an adult like this kind of thinking of like I don't have to make my own decisions is like what led you to just stand aside while Ares destroyed his people that led you to save this man whose like madness would kill his kingdom yeah, by what right does the wheat stock judge the lion? <laughs> by what right? Uh, make it happen, Chloe. <laughs> All of you Westeros, you think you are your sigils, wheat stocks, dragons eating their tails. Anyway. Wheat. <laughs> wheat. 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 <laughs> Barristan goes to find the shape paint. The shape paint reveals that the sons of the harpy poisoned the locusts that Belwas ate, which were intended for Daenerys, and the Valentine fleet has sailed, and Hisdar means to open the gates for them. Which, of course, with that whole Ned comparison, here you go, here's your sack of King's Landing moment. True, true. We're going to get into this, like, pretty deep later. Yeah, absolutely. Skahaz wants Barristan to meet with Grey Worm. And Selmy conspires with the Shavepate against his star, breaking the siege to kill those slaver lords, attacking the Yunkai before Volantis can take the city and enslave all of its people. Breaking the siege, breaking the siege. (laughs) Okay. Her children were the freedmen. Misha, they called her. All those whose chains she broke. Mother. The Shavepate was not wrong. Daenerys would 
want her children protected. Which, of course, like we said, the second point of view we cover, and it revolves just as much around the children as Ned's did. Barristan's boys that he's training are his children, failing them, failing Daenerys' children, failing Daenerys like the kings and queens of before that he's failed. Honorific Barry pushes himself to conspire against Hisdar, something Barristan would never regularly do. We think on Ned talking about how he would follow what the crown wanted and would not have Ned's back uh, in the meetings that how Ned thinks, you know, Barry is just married to his honor and he would never do what Ned thought was the right thing. He would follow the king when shit was hitting the fan in King's Landing. And of course, back all that up with Barry is not so good at court politics. He thinks consistently through his chapter alone that. You can see it in his actions, the way he thinks about people, and even how he regards himself. You may end your days in a fighting pit, old man. Kraz will eat your heart. And Barristan makes Skahaz promise that his dar's guilt can be proven. He doesn't want to punish an innocent man, I guess. And Barristan thinks on how he's just going to kill the man himself if his dar is guilty. He just made a goddamn not good deal. He's not like completely dumb though, because Barrison does demand he has to be able to come out on top and ask for proof during this. And of course, it all comes down to who's getting paid by who, just like Ned learns from Littlefinger in A Game of Thrones. When Littlefinger points out the queen pays him to spy, that's my person, that's Varys' person. It's a whole new world. Barrison doesn't know who's getting played by paid and played by who here which puts him at a major disadvantage if he's about to get played majorly. He's also like at a complete cultural and like language disadvantage too. But about the situation in Marine, Brendan Beefish has actually written before about the situation in Marine. I don't know that man. Um, But I don't think he's on a podcast. It's like not a podcast, right? (laughs) And how it mirrors the situation in king's landing when robert dies with this whole like power vacuum and all of this uh conspiring and so i think it's actually kind of amazing that we're reading these barristan chapters and this situation going down in Marine right after we've done all of these ned chapters and i do believe that brendan beefish had initially suggested that barristan was in many ways fulfilling the role of ned while skahaz who some, such as like Adam Feldman of the Miranese Blot blog, which like, if you haven't read like his essay on who poisoned the locust, you should absolutely go read that right now. Um, they assert that Skahaz is the actual poisoner. Anyway, um, Brendan Beefish says that Barristan in the role of Ned is being played by those around him in the way that Littlefinger plays those around him. And um, is lying about who is to blame for these assassination attempts, right? Like the cat's paw and the poison and also the other actual poison. We'll come back to that. So with Skahaz setting Barrison up to double cross his dar, I'd like to suggest that with all of this talk about cloaks and arms and the martial power that people bring like that Barristan can deliver, what if Barristan is not the Ned of Meereen, but is rather more of a corollary to Janos Slint, whom we see to actually be a very dishonorable man that should be an interesting contrast to Barristan who values his honor so much. And while, of course, 
Slint was motivated by that glimmer of gold, by the promise of money. Barristan instead is motivated by that perceived purity symbolized by his white cloak, and that, I think, that's what leads him astray. And I love that, of course, as we know, I'm a sucker for the colors of clothing and cloaks and everything in the story, and there's so much symbolism in that white cloak. I mean, we see it from Sandor Clegane ripping his cloak off and giving it to Sansa when he leaves. Uh, yeah, it, I'm real sad. I'm in my feels. Uh, we see it in all of that. We see it in, like we said, uh, Eliana mentioned when we did Ned that Jano Slint and all of everyone shows up, but Jano Slint's armor. Yeah, he came up with like fucking stuntin' ass armor. Yeah, Jano Slint shows up with stuntin' ass ar- armor, and he looks great. And you know, you're like that poor son of a bitch got money. And that's how you can tell right away something's off. And I think George really does play with those kind of ideas. There's definitely Barrison's cloak will be stained one way or another. However it happens. And while I do love that, can we just divulge who we think is the harpy at this point? Are we like on the same page? I mean, like what's going to happen to our marriage? Like if we're not, it's me. I, I'm the harpy. It's uh, kind of a turn on. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> I think it seems like it's the Green Grace. If if it's yeah. anyone. Oh, yeah. It has to be. I mean, I'm thinking- If it's not like a collective of people. Exactly. I'm like, it's either like a collective and like an ideal or it's the Green Grace. Right. Like it's either like a bunch of nobles or it's the Green Grace. Like, duh. Yeah. Like the harpy's <laughs> not going to be a man. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. A harpy is a woman's sigil. Like, duh. Duh. And we leave this chapter with Barristan leaving to go speak to Grey Worm. And that's it. That's the, we're never doing this. No, I'm just kidding. We're doing this. Again. All right. That was it for Queensguard. Let's keep going. We got a whole nother chapter, baby. Let's power through. Hit me with that lightning round. And in this lightning round, so you know, we are going to go through all the chapters till Barrison's next chapter now. We'll briefly hit these chapters. It won't just be the Miranese chapters. Uh, there aren't quite as many, but we will go through the next three. And from the Queen's Guard, we move to the Iron Suitor. Victorian Greyjoy heads the Iron Fleet near the Isle of Cedars outside of Slaver's Bay to find Daenerys Targaryen. Makoro, a red priest, swept over onto the Selesori Koran, heals Victorian's injured, infected arm, and after killing his maester, Victorian heads for Meereen. I feel like Benny Hill is just playing in the background of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's like all of Victorian's chapters. <laughs> He's so dumb. I can't wait to get there. Oh, <laughs> we should just play that. We should change our um, opening. Intro to that. We should actually yeah. have it just on in the background the entire time. The entire, like, hour chapter yeah. thing. Yeah, I'm in. Or we it. don't read it a lot at all. We only play that song. <laughs> That's the podcast. We just upload that to Podbean every month. Tempting. It would only be like two weeks. But in Tyrion 11, with his short lived owner dying of the bloody flux, Tyrion finds an opportunity to get back into his element. Swindling and dealing with Brown Ben Plum, he secures a deal for Jorah Mormont to join the Second Sons and enters Plum's employ. John 12. 3,000 
wildlings past the wall at Castle Black. And John and Tormund discuss the supposed burned horn of Joraman. Later, a raven comes from Hardhome where Cotter Pike is stranded. And that the Bravosi captains are selling wildling women and children into slavery. Rude. Right. That's actually, like, the one thing. Everyone, like, freaks and loves Hardhome. And, I mean, it was good. The episode was good. It was a cool episode. And I did like how they, like, confirmed the Valyrian steel stuff and all that. But right. I really feel like, exactly, it was A, I, and B, like, the, the slavery aspect not existing in it. I felt like that was really important because while John was trying to free all these people, he was losing all these people, too. Like, it's just, like, it's a very interesting contrast with Daenerys' chapters, too, uh, with her effects at trying to stop slavery and how slavery seems to be the only way for her to move forward in this, to get peace in her city. And I also love that we get this John chapter where he's making these big moves at the wall. I think it's important that these follow this chapter with uh, Discarded Knight, especially since they're moves that won't really prove to help him in the long run. Another structural thing that I think is really cool is that George has said in So Spake Martins that he originally had a lot of Cersei and Daenerys chapters next to each other, uh, and that he really wanted to contrast their ruling and the things they dealt with and why they made the choices they made. And I feel like that's something that you really, if you read like the feast dance uh, put-togethers of, you know, either boiled leather or any feast dance version you look at, when you get those chapters next to each other or a ball of beasts, it's really a treat. It's really a pleasure. Sorry, let me finish writing this. You're good. I figured. That's about it, right? <laughs> Honestly? Yeah, hold on. Uh, yeah. It's like literally what happens. Pretty much. Barry thinks some shitty shit. Oh my god. And his failures. In this chapter, Barristan thinks about his failures. You know... All right, that'll do. Cool. All right. And that brings us to the discarded knight. Without the mother of dragons, Hisdar attempts to hold court and Barristan watches as the powder keg of marine comes closer to explosion. He looks around and muses upon the conspiracies that swim beneath the surface. 
He then thinks upon his failures before approaching the sun's son with the same advice that Danny gave him. Run. Oh. 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 God, that's going to be fun when we get there someday. 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 A herald reads aloud the many titles of Hisdar and calls for all to kneel, showing his whole title monologue thing might be universal and not just Westerosi. But it also is showing that now Hisdar has kind of married his way to the top, which we hear from Skahaz, and now Hisdar has the power he needed. He married a queen, and he doesn't need her. Which also plays into the, some of the societal norms in that higher culture, and of women being lesser, even if they have dragons. Which, that's gonna kind of get turned on its head. Right. Can't wait for that. He deaf needs her. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for that O moment. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Bearston reaches for his sword, preparing for a battle. And I love this little line in this paragraph where he thinks no blades were allowed in the presence of the king save his protectors. And it's totally a great line because that's what Aerys II did. He would not allow any swords on anyone in there uh, near him. Maybe his protectors, but that was it. If Barry did defect to Aegon, I'm not really into that conspiracy tinfoil theory that some people... Oh, shots fired! Okay. From people that don't have podcasts, I hear. They're not podcasts. They're not a podcast. Uh, <laughs> but if he did, this line would be a great bit of foreshadowing to put into that tinfoil theory that's not real. Because in general, this is like Ares II to a T. Barrison was probably experiencing some major tension and trauma in that moment. For sure, for sure. Barristan notes that his dar has actually procured a more elaborate throne than Danny's humble bench, and now also has a second empty chair for Danny. No dragon chair can replace a dragon, no matter how elaborately it's carved, Dra- Barristan thinks to himself, and I kind of feel like this is like an, a Fagon reference, maybe. Won't matter, because he's going to die by then. Uh, Not only that, though, but also the elaborate dragon throne, again, serves as Hisdar's power. There's a good description of jewels and of how it's made in this kind of scene. And a reminder that there are dragons, and they're not just dragons, but they're Daenerys' dragons that are here. Never mind that they can't really control them, but we'll pass by that. Hisdar sits surrounded uh, by his guards who are mostly made up of pit fighters. When you have not the classiest. Not the classiest, but they're there. I guess they're like tight. Yeah. Uh then we have more of Barristan waxing nostalgic as we juxtapose this I didn't grab the quote, uh but it's basically juxtaposing this idea of a young day, a.k.a. what we plebes call mourning, and how Barristan feels that he is aged and now needs less sleep than he used to. I, I actually had the opposite as I got older. I used to be able to, like, not sleep, and now I need, like, lots of sleep, so. Right to operate. This is actually a passage about how Barristan has seven million tree rings on his neck. He is so old he is you guys he is seriously gonna die like next book halfway through t wow he's just gonna die he's gonna die 
Maybe. I don't know. I think he's going to die. he's going to make it to Westeros at least. I don't know about that. I think he's gonna yeah. die. We're gonna talk. We'll have a discourse uh, towards the end of yeah. This y- whole thing. You know what? Actually, really cool is I think this is a conversation that's gonna happen in our Barristan outro. Oh, for sure. Uh, I really, I think I implore you guys to listen to it. We're gonna have some strong opinions in our first episode with a guest on it. Please stay with us. Please, honestly, I think it's gonna be worth it. I think they're gonna love this episode. They're gonna, it's gonna be some good. There's going to be some good content, for sure. I pray to all of you that you, the good strangers of the internet, will accompany us on this journey, just as Barristan is praying now, alone in this land of strangers. That was my segue. (laughs) I'm quitting this podcast. Wasn't the worst segue I've ever come up with. No, but it was like second worst. Uh, Maybe. It was cheesy. The throne room is full of people and heightened emotions. Anger, grief, suspicion, fear. And hidden around the room are the brazen beasts. Selmy Selmy wondered Oh, oh I can't. You do, do it, it, you do it. You do it. I thought I'd help you. Do it. You're talking for me. Do it. <laughs> Selmy wondered if the masks had meaning to the men who wore them. Did the same men wear the same masks every day, or did they choose new masks every morning? I love that. I love that line. I think it's so, like, it's very, like, playing into the thematics of they're all liars here. You know, I, I just love it. Uh, yeah, and it obviously works on multiple levels, and it's just, like, Barrison maybe... On one hand, it is admirable that Barrison feels comfortable just, like, being yourself, being himself, but also, like, maybe a mask can help with protection. <sighs> Among the crowd, some refuse to acknowledge Hisdar's rule, and they start shouting that he is no king of mine, which I love. That was, like, such a good moment. Like, you see that erupt, yeah. and it's like, Barristan is watching, finally, from the side, watching this all erupt. He's not there doing his duty blind to people saying, that's not my king. He's back there going, hmm, no one else likes him either. Yeah, hashtag not my king. And, like, this is what we were saying earlier. Hisdar thinks the way some people assume that because he is the man presumably with power that he can just assume it but power resides where people believe it resides and that just happens to be like the woman who has three dragons because three dragons and she also very much won their hearts yeah absolutely I mean that one scene in Game of Thrones, Misa, that scene of them just with their hands reached out, it was just such, besides the white savior bullshit, it was a little powerful just in general. Like watching it, you're like, yeah, you can really understand what happened in Marine. You know, you can get that feel with Ramen's music of what actually happened. Uh, especially, even after she's gone, she's left this impression that people want Daenerys. And it's just like in the last chapter when he's waiting, he's waiting penny in the air he is waiting for it to fall he knows that this isn't gonna last though something's gonna happen yeah despite all of the struggles that danny goes through from barristan to some of the other people like this person who goes he is no king of mine danny inspires loyalty mm-hmm. barristan then internally sneers at some of Reznok's words and he thinks 
about himself. His years in the Kingsguard had taught him the trick of listening without hearing, especially useful when the speaker was intent on proving that words were truly wind. And I'm just like, listening without hearing? Like, actually, though, glorified houseplant. Oh my god. Eliana. You love it. He sees the Martell party, and he has this internal dialogue in which he totally misunderstands Oh my god. Nothing new. Oh my god. (laughs) Prince Quentin was listening intently, at least. That one is his father's son. Short and stocky, plain-faced, he seemed a decent lad, sober, sensible, dutiful, but not the sort to make a young girl's heart beat faster. And Daenerys Targaryen, whatever else she might be, was still a young girl, as she herself would claim when it pleased her to play the innocent. Like all good queens, she put her people first, else she would never have wed his Darza Lorak. But the girl in her still yearned for poetry, passion, and laughter. Yeah, that's why people fucking like Barry. She wants fire, and Dorne sent her mud. You could make a poultice out of mud to cool a fever. You could plant seeds in mud and grow a crop to feed your children. Mud would nourish you where fire would only consume you. But fools and children and young girls choose fire every time. Behind the prince, Sir Garrus Drinkwater was whispering something to Ironwood. Sir Garrus was all his prince was not. Tall and lean and comely, with a swordsman's grace and a courtier's wit. Selmy did not doubt that many a Dornish maiden had run her fingers through that sun-streaked hair and kissed that teasing smile off his lips. He could not help but think, but there was something a bit too pleasant about drink water for his taste. False coin, the old knight thought. He had known such men before. I think he skipped a line, right? If this one had been the prince, things might have gone elsewise. Oh, yeah, I can redo that. I just kind of must have missed it because I can't read. What up? I'm Davos. I'm 42 and I never learned how to read. <laughs> oh. Davos is way yeah. though. Okay. Yeah, he is. Behind the prince, Sir Garrus Drinkwater was whispering something to Ironwood. Sir Garrus was all his prince was not, tall and lean and comely, with a swordsman's grace and a courtier's wit. Selmy did not doubt that many a Dornish maiden had run her fingers through that sun-streaked hair and kissed that teasing smile off his lips. If this one had been the prince, things might have gone elsewise. He could not help but think. But there was something a bit too pleasant about Drinkwater for his taste. False coin, the old knight thought. He had known such men before. Ugh. Barry. Grandpa. We gotta have a talk, Grandpa. Yeah, let's sit down and talk. Because, like, maybe you don't know any children or young girls, I guess. Like, of course, we know where this process comes from in his thoughts. We will see it more in chapters to come. But Bearston kind of feels this way about most women. He called Daenerys his child queen in the last chapter. He places Ashara on a pedestal, not quite unlike how Robert places Lyanna on one, and claims if only he could have saved her, she would have been with him instead, when that's not the way of how it works at all. He chose duty over that life before he even met her, and Daenerys is choosing her duty here. It isn't that Daenerys just wants to fuck Daria all the time and that she's young and dumb. It's that she's stressed. Oh my god, she's like a 14, 15-year-old ruling places. She's ruling an unruly city that doesn't want to be ruled. She wants to fuck, man. <laughs> she yeah. didn't choose 
She didn't not choose Quentin because she can't leave her. Fuck. She didn't choose Quentin because she can't leave her duty, just like Barrison married himself to his. Also, a very interesting point that I won't go very far into, but I love the idea of Mud and Dorn and Dorn sending Mud and maybe Dorn's into Mud. Maybe Dornish people sometimes just want safety and they want security with a person they fell in love with, you know? Like, maybe they weren't fucking northern wolves. Anyways, so, where were we with Barristan's arc? It's just, like, he thinks that just because he's older, he knows everything. I don't think that with Barristan age necessarily equates wisdom because, like, uh, he doesn't know how to make any decisions for himself, as he has said earlier. And especially, like, he's just learning how to do that for the first time at, like, 60 years old. And I, he just doesn't seem to understand Danny's thought process at all. He thinks that he doesn't understand <sighs> where she's coming from. Like, the idea that she would abandon everything for for Dario. Yeah, for... But, like, he, he kind of touches on it and kind of understands he's, like, like all good queens, she put her people first. Else she would never have wed his Darzalorak, but... Danny herself, like, understands this. We see it in her chapters that she's, like... She understands that Dario doesn't actually love her or like her. She understands that Dario likes the idea of being with a queen, being with the Mother of Dragons. And she knows this. And she knows this in the same way that she knows that that's why Quentin's here. She understands that people aren't, like, actually into her for her. And... It's stressful for her. It's a struggle for her. And I don't think Barrison really gets that. He's never had a chance to get that. How could he? He's never had to understand that. No one wants to be with him because he was the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. I mean, someone might have. He's never had that. I mean, come on. Please, someone out there bang him because he is forever a virgin. Like, I mean, someone out there was probably, like, willing to. You know, like, he... We're going to get into this earlier, like a little later, but you know, there were members of the Kingsguard that had uh, lovers, so. Huh. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of that, though he's sworn no o- though he's sworn no oaths to Dorne, he wants to help Quentin, especially because of his fallen brother of the Kingsguard, Lewin Martell. Which, it's still a good name. And the way that Barrison feels about wanting to help Quentin on behalf of Lewin kind of reminds me of how John Connington thinks about wanting to help Aegon because of Rhaegar. A little different, of course, in like some of those motivations, but there's, I think, a similar underlying thread. And then he's all like, oh... So he's all like, oh, Quentin's from Dorne, and he's related to Oberyn, who's called the Red Viper. So maybe, like, Quentin knows a lot about poison and plots and intrigues. He thinks Quentin had grown up amongst the courts of Dorne. Plots and poisons were no strangers to him. And he just, like, comes up with all these assumptions about, like, oh, maybe Quentin's, like, poison, the locust, because he's from Dorne. And I'm just like... Uh, dude, that's A, kind of prejudiced, like, hashtag not all Dornish. And then B, Barristan, you were in the courts of King's Landing for, like, longer than Quentin has been alive, but you still haven't internalized, like, how the fuck plots or poisons work. So why would you just assume this of Quentin, even though you're like, oh, he's mud, mud heals, and, like, 
Why would you think that? He makes a lot of assumptions. Like, a very strong amount of assumptions. I mean, like, and it's good because, obviously, we are entertaining different ideas. Like, Barristan, for once, is using his noodle. You know, and he's like, well, what if? And I mean, overall, he ends up coming, like, with this thought. He basically thinks that and later does bring it to him, as we learn. Yeah. And it's good that, we, you know, that he's entertained. Yeah, and it's good that he's, like, starting to entertain these different ideas that, like, what if the locusts weren't really meant for Daenerys? But, you know, what if it was the shave paid? Not Quentin. Anyways, I'm also, like, just... I'm not convinced that the locusts were meant for strong Belwis, but I'm also not convinced that the locusts weren't meant for strong Belwis. I mean, they could have been meant for him because I think it actually makes absolute narrative sense to create that sense of heightened danger. That thing we were talking about a few episodes ago called that pinch point for strong Belwis, who is our protagonist. And then... That was like your third strike of the whole podcast, I want to say. I went along the first time, but yep. the third. Yep. This is like many times. Anyways, um, but as Barristan begins thinking about the possibility that the locusts weren't meant for Daenerys, there are footsteps that distract him from making any headway when it comes to this line of thought. And it's kind of similar to how the ringing of bells in the veil distracts Catelyn from putting together some of that important information about John Aaron's death and the fostering of Robert Aaron and how some of the information she has isn't consistent with each other, which isn't consistent with each other, which I think draws more of those parallels between that A Game of Thrones King's Landing plot, uh, oh, yeah. you know, with John Aaron, especially because it is like all about that poison. Yes, I love that. I love that we are finding all of this in here. It's really cool. I haven't read uh, that post Jeff made on it, but I-, I want to now. I'm sitting here like, this is it. This is all I'm pulling after we just read all that. Yeah. And then some of the Yunkish come in, and I just want to call out this like one wise master, as they call themselves, who wears like porn on his breastplate. breastplate. They like describe it as like, the third had an ornate breastplate inlaid with erotic scenes. And I'm like, this guy is like my mother's neighbor who has a sticker on his very swinky car that has like two stick figures like banging. And it says, no free rides, gas or ass. That's who this guy is. Oh my gosh. That is. It's straight up like. Very tacky. Very tacky. The wise masters brandish the head of the guy from Star Wars, Admiral Grolio who died as payment for the deaths of the Yunkish who attended the opening of the fighting pits. Grolio had a wife back in Pentos. Children. Grandchildren. Why him, of all the hostages? Barrison thinks, as he mourns this man that he crossed the half the world with, um, about all of these things that Grolio had in his life, which is, of course, George R. R. Martin again reminding us that these pawns also have stories. Oh, yeah. And it's huge because it's where the true horror sets in in Barristan's arc in Marine. Obviously, he only has four chapters in this book to really get to a certain point that makes him do something. And this is what really progresses him in his arc in these books. It's true horror. You take a step back and you look. It has a lot of similarities to the noir arc that Eddard has going on in A Game of Thrones. Selmy is walking around the empty streets. There's smoke rising everywhere traipsing through empty, dark, shadowy pyramids. 
the smell of flesh, trying to remain unseen, figuring out what the fuck is going on in the city, all while trying to remain composed and training knights and upholding Danny's legacy in Marine as well as he possibly can at this point. It's a really interesting way to tell this story on George's end. Then we have this other great line where Barrison's thinking to himself and he goes, But it was easier to pose that question than to answer it. I have no skill at unraveling such knots. And I'm just like, hey, uh, George. Uh, hey, George. Hey. What up, George? I see you. Yeah, hashtag, we I did it. You know, the one thing about this, and I think this is also a clue to the reader, is that Hisdar seems shaken by Admiral Grolio's head uh, showing up. And I think that speaks better than him of what Barrison gives him credit for. And of course, as we know, and well, as we believe, Barrison is getting a tiny bit framed into this, a tiny bit of different angles coming at him about his dar being the worst, which I'm not saying he's not the worst, but he seems to finally realize what he's gotten himself into. It carries weight finally, and that real people are actually dying right now because of what's going on. It's real now. And then, of course, in response to how the Yunkai are like, uh, this is what we're doing with your seven hostages, Barristan then speaks out of turn again and tries to explain, oh, this is what happened at Dasnak's pit, which is similar to the situation of where he spoke out of turn when Danny was trying to trade, quote-unquote, trade Drogon for the Unsullied. And the Yunkai, of course, take offense to this. They're like, oh, why is your guard just speaking to me? But I do think, somewhat to their credit, the Miranese don't throw Barrison under the bus entirely for this. No, I think the tensions are pretty high between both in general. Mm -hmm. The Yunkai actually demand the dragons be destroyed, but Reznek says Danny is their mother. Bloodbeard, the commander of the Sellsword troops, the company of the cat, says Danny is dead and the room erupts in chaos. As the meeting adjourns, Barristan thinks to himself, Sir Barristan watched them, thoughtful. What would Daenerys want, he asked himself. He thought he knew. And just like, I really don't think Barristan knows. I think he really doesn't. He's been kind of wrong about what Danny has wanted since A Storm of Swords. Like, in that moment where he speaks out that we just talked about. Yeah, he really, really doesn't know what she wants, like, at all. Does not know. Barristan warns Quentin and his friends to leave the city, and we're reminded of the old dead marriage pact. I mean, that's it. It's over. That's the pact, and it's, well, quote-unquote, done until we hear from a certain princess of Dorne. Rip. He also then decides to confide in the Martell party about the poison plot, like those locusts. And then I'm like, oh, maybe he is Ned, just like telling everyone about this poison stuff. Uh, he decides to confront Quentin about whether or not Quentin was the one who poisoned Daenerys. Spoiler alert, he didn't. And then Barristan talks about Lewin Martell having had a paramour. And I know that some people have like written about this, and I'm, I am I think, Chloe, you have thoughts on this, right? Yeah, I actually really love, there's this great theory by 
user Stressed Almost Writer on Reddit, uh, the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, that has a theory that Lewin's paramour is actually Septa Lamour, hmm. which I find really interesting because it's not quite connected to the families, but it's connected enough where she could gain something from supporting Aegon. Uh, and it's kind of fitting in with that whole B-list character, C-list character kind of theme mm-hmm. of just like this like raggedy group of people that aren't quite people you know, but they were around. So we will link that for sure. But I love that theory. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, it's not something that I ever really thought about, but I'm glad that there are people who do. Right. And it's something that we might not ever learn, mm. but you know, whatever. It's a cool idea. Yeah. But as for things that we do learn, we learn the story of how Bearston earned his epithet from him. Before he had gone three steps, Quentin Martell called out to him, Bearston the Bold, they call you! Some do. Selmy had won that day when he was ten years old, a new-made squire, yet so vain and proud and foolish that he got it in his head that he could just with tried and proven knights. So he'd borrowed a warhorse and some plate from Lord Dondarrion's armory and entered the list at Blackhaven as a mystery knight. Even the herald laughed. My arms were so thin that when I lowered my lance, it was all I could do to keep the point from furrowing the ground. <laughs> Adorable. Lord Dondarrion would have been within his rights to pull him off the horse and spank him, but the Prince of Dragonflies had taken pity on him, had taken pity on the Adelpat had taken pity on the adult-pated boy in the ill-fitting armor and accorded him the respect of taking up his challenge. One course was all that it required. Afterward, Prince Duncan helped him to his feet and removed his helm. A boy, he had proclaimed to the crowd. A bold boy! Fifty-three years ago, how many men are still alive who were there at Blackhaven? Oh, this gets sad. I forgot about this. It does get this. sad. Man, Barry, the old sap. It's also some good characterization because we were talking earlier about how Barristan is teaching these various boys who have chosen to follow Daenerys and training them to be guards. And part of it is, of course, that like he understands the need for it, but you can see him passing on that generosity that was given to him by the Prince of Dragonflies as just a little boy. He's like, I should treat these young boys the same. Well, and it's just like what we get with Dunk when Mm -hmm. Dunk, you know, all Dunk knows is what he's learned from previous people, and he tries to teach what Sir Arlen had taught him. So, I do love that. Quentin asks what name he will be called and he wallows in self fuck hold on I'm like hearing my echo which is really weird and I don't know why it's happening at least it's not Ariana Grande Okay. right Quentin asks what name he will be called in history and he wallows in self-deprecation Barristan sweetly tries to be encouraging though he thinks to himself that Quentin is the prince who came too late and calls him Quentin the Wise. But just as Barrison thinks his story was given to him as a foolish boy, just as Grolio, who had a wife and children, dies, not every person is the hero of the story, as Barristan and Quentin both may learn once that both may learn one day. Quentin Duff learns that way earlier. 
Yeah, a little bit earlier. Yeah. Not much though, since it'll be like a book later and Beerson will die. He's gonna I mean he's gonna he's like he's ready to die. Yeah, it's did you so read sad. him going up those steps? Like He didn't have to, I guess, die. Yeah, he could have, like, taken that land and those castles and stuff, but... Whoa, thought... At least one person stays alive. Strong Belwis? Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, here's a thought. I'm gonna just throw this out there. Part of why Barrison didn't accept the castle and lands to rule and stuff is because he was just like, Oh my god, I'd have to make decisions for other people? And what we're yeah, gonna right. do with like, crops? I don't even know how to heat these pizza rolls up. That's why his supper's so simple. Yeah, dude, he's a basic man, baby. Yeah, it makes me sad, especially because he's like all lonely and stuff, and he's like, "This is my only purpose," and like, it's I'm just trying to live it. But also at the same time, I'm kind of like, dude. It teeters empathetic. Yeah, and that's the beauty of George R. R. Martin, right? You know, like that these characters have these different facets. Right, it's so nuanced. We feel very in between. Yeah. Like I do feel for Barristan, but also I'm kinda like Yeah. I feel for him, but I'm like, you can do better than this. Mm-hmm. I mean, can he? But we don't know. We'll find I guess out that's it. In the that's winds the of winter. night. Yeah, yeah. In the winds of winter, when it comes out next month, all six books. Yeah. I'm gonna. Th- Sorry, one last thing. One last, just because I'm like, oh, let's have like an ending or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is not something we get in the Game of Thrones show, right? Because Barristan stays being that very. Uh. This is not something we get in the Game of Thrones show because Barristan continues to be that like really accomplished knight and fighter. He stays being Barristan the Bold and that's how he ends up going out. We don't end up seeing him as this actual like person who feels very out of his depth. Yeah, we just get Barristan the Old in the show. We don't get Barristan the Bold. But we still get, I mean, he goes out as the Bold and we just like, yeah. Right, kind of. He was ambushed. He kind of just like fell down, but I mean, you know, yeah. Anyways, glad that show's done. Uh, <laughs> it's over, and so's our. We show. had the best of times. We had the worst of times. Uh, uh, well, that's it. That's the discarded night. Next week, we're gonna come back with the cane breaker and the queen's hand. Uh, since Barristan is just so few chapters, we will save all the goodies. And all the excitement of what you're going to hear next week. Till then. Yep. And, of course, keep following us uh, on this journey for that. You can find us and subscribe to us on Podbean, on Google Play, on iTunes. We are also on Stitcher and Acast. Yeah, we are. So make sure to subscribe so that every week on Friday, your podcast list gets updated with us your feed is updated as always i have been chloe you can find me as the queen of love and booty at lies and arbor on twitter.com and you can also find me 
writing on Tumblr as at Lies and Arbor. And I'm Eliana, Glass Table Girl on Reddit and on Maester Monthly. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to us on Twitter and feel free to shoot us an email if you like. Maybe you have like some reactions to anything that we've said here or like leave us an iTunes review because I think that those are fun and I look at them. Oh my God. Yeah. Send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Shoot us a tweet. You know, like there was some like really good discussion today. Oh yeah. We've had some really good discussion today, yesterday. It's been, it's been lit on Twitter. So Make sure to connect with us there. We would love to hear from you. Thanks so much, you guys, for tuning in. We'll see you next week for episode 12.